Welcome to Chapter 5, Final Steps Back to Full Health. There's another little part of that, the reason I was writing to work, um, and that is because the pain revolution. Mm. Because... I was still subscribed to the emails. Yeah. I was still engaged with it. It still made sense to me. I yeah. still emailed you on yeah. occasion. Yeah. Just sort of touching base yeah. and giving you updates on where things were at. And I just followed it. I found it interesting. And I knew that it was helpful in some way, as I've referred to before. I just didn't know how to tap into it yeah. for my situation. And I suppose there's this discussion of protection, that overprotection that we've spoken about. And so something in my mind started to just sort of trigger around you know there's all these things that I'm not doing and maybe I'm being overprotective of myself like really mm. every time I say no to something no I can't come surfing I'd love mm. to come surfing but I can't because blah blah, mm. blah 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 oh no I can't go skiing over you know with you because blah 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 blah, blah. no I can't go cycling because blah 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 Every time I, I just realised, every time I say no to something, effectively I'd created these walls. I picture a glass wall around me and above me. And every time I said no, it was like I was strengthening those walls mm. and that ceiling that was just mm. going to contain me in there. I don't know really what triggered that because I'd never thought that thought of that before. But So I just sort of suddenly thought I need to break through these walls and this ceiling that I've constructed around myself before they're like, brick walls that I can't get through. And so I'd obviously always been interested in the pain revolution and that ride from Melbourne to Adelaide and, you know, subsequent years it's been travelling through different areas and different regions, every time targeting a different area mm. and stopping in different regional centres and spreading the good word of pain science. And, <laughs> and so I'd sort of been interested and thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder if one day I could do that. But it always seemed far off and fanciful. And I think my parents had pretty much banned me from riding, riding a bike because it was far too dangerous. Risk-reward wasn't there. You're on the road exposed to people. Anyway, so there was something. I think there was maybe the call-out for the next yeah. pain rev, which was going to be through Eastern Victoria. And so that was just this, again, this little thought that maybe this is exactly what I need to do. Like it is the risk-reward. It just doesn't make any sense. Like if you looked at it logically, you'd be like, no, you don't. There's far. There's ways you can challenge yourself or something that don't expose you to this risk. Because if you've had multiple concussions, you've taken seven years to get better, and then you go, what? You're going to go riding on the road for 900 kilometers for 900 k's, <laughs> and then you got to train for that. What do you think your chances of not getting? How many people get knocked off a bike? Yeah, you know, a lot. Like, what are your chances of, the, of that happening and not getting knocked off? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So again, I didn't. Tell my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I am seen. Well, and I've, it's, this comes from a position where I've been generally very, very, I've told them everything. Yeah. You know, they've been yeah. an incredibly support network. But I think that was also something about realising I needed to stand on my own feet and I needed to make decisions sometimes that might not necessarily have their support. If I deeply within myself yeah. knew that they were the right decision. And so... I did run it past a friend who is both a physio and understands pain science and knows my family and knows me very, very well so that I could 
truth test it and just make sure I wasn't getting carried away. Mm. And they were very supportive. And I just remember when they kind of, I told them what I was thinking and the thought process and why. And they just said, yes, absolutely. Like it was almost like with the, um, with the neuropsych, like, but yeah. they were much more enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember hanging up from them. It was a very short conversation. I'd like left the office to make this phone call before I either did or didn't sign up to the because yes. there's a cutoff date. And I just remember the excitement and exhilaration and just rightness of the decision that I felt was just so profound. Like I was just like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, like just fist pumping. Like, and it, like it does seem so weird but it was just felt so right as yeah. a decision. And I've probably just learned over time to trust my gut instinct, my intuition yeah. a lot more, even if sometimes it doesn't make something doesn't make sense logically, but you feel really within your core that it's the right decision. And so I did that and I committed to training. And so that subsequent fall that I described was mm. was training for this ride. And it, and so I suppose it's important because I'd made this commitment that hang on, I'm I am being overprotective of myself. Mm. I need to challenge mm. these this overprotective mm. mechanisms like conscious yes. that I'm aware of before yeah. I imprison myself in it. And then there was a deeper level of subconscious or unconscious overprotection. And so probably that even just changes, you know, coming off the bike instead of then if I hadn't made that decision and I was just randomly riding, I would have been lambasting myself for being yeah. so silly and taking such a risk. Whereas yeah. instead I, that wasn't in question anymore. I yeah. just committed to doing this and it was the right call. Yeah, that's. I think that has a lot of merit. The idea of you know those things that really deep down feel like the right decision for you, mm. because I think at the end of the day, we're the only ones that are in charge of and able to do a lot of things to shape our future. And if, if there's something that is really you know really pulling and really saying this is the right thing for me, I, I feel like when we don't listen to those things, I always worry those are the things that we regret. Yes. That's been my experience. And regret is hard. Mm. So I, I applaud the bravery. I think this that was amazing. I was just very sad I didn't get to come on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a great ride. Yeah. So what was, your, what was the, um, I guess, the your most favorite or a, what was the best part of that ride while you were doing it? Um, so the ride itself was amazing. I trained on a road bike, yep. I guess, over the next six months training up for that, which was very hard. Yeah. Working at thresh, just below threshold again. Yeah. Different threshold. Really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but um and then did the ride. And I yeah. suppose by that point I just had confidence in myself. I guess having made that decision to be, as you say, courageously sort of tackle it. And then also the learning having come off the bike and the reinforcement of Bertie and the story around yeah. Bertie. I still used that. I would yeah. sure I'd have situations where I would need to use that, but I had confidence in it. Mm. So I, I was sort of the ride just further reinforced my ability because probably previously I wouldn't have – that's quite an endurance activity. Like I would go out and training and do 175Ks and be on the bike for seven hours. Mm. Again, just even from a – I probably wouldn't have coped with that previously just from a fatigue perspective yeah. because I didn't have any queries around that and my body just responded well. It's And so the ride was great, loved it, but the biggest thing for me was I would – just tried to go to every session I could get mm. to. So every day we'd ride somewhere. And then that year there was, I think the year that you did it, all of you were riding and then you were presenting. And obviously over the years 
you, there was the realization that that was maybe a bit much and you <laughs> they had an educational team come on <laughs> yeah and so it, it got split out and so there was an education team doing the the bulk of the presenting mm. and so that the riders weren't coming in really fatigued and so we couldn't always go to the sessions because sometimes just because where we were going they were earlier in the day but these were sessions where again there was a public session and then a health professional session in each town we visited so every time we got in in time for those I would go mm. and I just found it really reinforcing of all those messages because every day you were hearing the same messages but they were from different people were presenting them mm. and even though 80% of the slides are the same, they would do it in their own way yeah. and they would do it with their own spin and emphasising things, telling their own stories and so every day I would get something new mm. from it or it would make sense, a new light bulb would go off, or it would reinforce something that needed to be reinforced, and the magic was just there every day. And you would hear, you know, you could see the impact it was having on people within the community. So that, for me, was that was the absolute magic of it. Yeah, cool. When we've been talking about this overprotective, overprotection, yeah. and Bertie, I actually do recognise now that, and... I've got to be careful in how I word this, but my family did become a, a second version of Bertie with the same positive intent and 100% wanting the best for you. But there, I did also get messaging from them not to do things and, to, you know, just, you know, because they were concerned. I mean, they'd seen me in a horrendous state mm-hmm. over many years, over and over and over again, mm-hmm. as I say, because mm-hmm. probably when I did, they saw me all sort of all out. Um, but as a result, it just, I needed to be aware of that and that was part of mm. making my own decisions and not telling them everything in the end because I had to be, again, stand back from it mm. and go, hang on, is this messaging I'm getting helpful for mm. me and my recovery? If it is, good, but I need to be able to stand separate from it and assess that and acknowledge and thank it but make my own decision about whether I act on it. And this is it's so interesting that you say that because I it to me mirrors some of the principles that we look into of things like self-regulated learning where what it is, it's assessing that evidence or that information that's coming in and saying how useful is this for for me right now, how well does this match with the other things that I that I know or that I have have accrued? What's the source mm. of this information? How much do I do I trust it in this case? Which is where it's really tricky with family because ninety nine point nine percent of the time, trust them one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, but I think that the fact that there is that process going on is amazing because that's exactly. I think where we would want the goal to be <laughs> in terms of taking in any new information. Because I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges, just speaking very generally, is all the information that comes out on things like Facebook and or even just anywhere on the internet, ask Dr. Google, <laughs> that can be can take you down hard paths, particularly in in certain chronic conditions. So I think that point is really, really important of yeah, sussing out and and, and thinking. Is this important and relevant to me? That's really good. Amazing. <laughs> and I just will tack on to that, that to my family. <laughs> um, yeah, look, your support and um, 
kindness and generosity through the whole journey has been uh, absolutely sensational and um, life affirming. So thank you very much. Mm. Big Sims. Yeah, big Sims. <laughs> Is there anything else that we've missed that you wanted to add? Uh, trust your gut and um, as you talked about and really just be curious and be kind to yourself and to those around you and try to be patient. I know that's really difficult. And get good people around you and, and keep um, keep on going. Yeah, it's interesting from the our side of the, the, the pain, pain science side of things, one of the things that we do often identify is that not every you know, therapist or health professional that you work with is a fit for you, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Yes. And if something doesn't seem to be, you know, working well, it's also okay to switch and yeah. get another one that you can identify with a little bit more. Because I think there's lots of different ways to go about this, and just even the way that some people approach it might not work as as well for you. And there's no, there's no bad feelings. There's nothing about that. You you're on your journey, and you want to find the people that are your your, you know, your strength, your people, your coaches. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say be brave, trust your gut, and continue to challenge yourself and keep trying to get better. But having said that, oh, that's a really tricky one. <laughs> if you listen to Wills, you can understand more about that around not yeah. trying to sort of not comparing yourself to the past but rather where you are thinking now. about what, you might be able to do in the future. And I think that's quite important too. I think I was, that was another learning I got from Will, was I was constantly sort of comparing myself with rose-coloured mm. glasses to what I was like before. And really, you know, the rose-coloured glasses portrayal I was putting on myself before meant that you were never tired and you never had a bad day, you never had a headache, and it's just unrealistic. Yeah. And so it's helpful to realise that and stop comparing yourself and go, well, I'm here. What might be possible? Could I walk for 10 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> I like that reframing. That's sort of pretty much all I've got. But cool. what? any other observations or um, additions that you think mm. that you've got or that you think are worth adding? When did you have the moment where you realised that the book that you were carrying that you thought was going to help was in English. Oh. Do you remember when that was? No, I don't think it was necessarily. A, it was like a transition a over time. I think it was more when I look back. Yeah, you know, That's and then I, I remember look, thinking about that when I met you all. Yeah, um, probably doing the pain revolution myself. Yeah. you know, at the end of that journey was sort of the fruition of that. But I probably already. I don't know if the, it wasn't a sort of light bulb thing, but probably even doing that week, you know, I'd obviously had a significant learning leading into it yeah. during the training phase. Um, and then probably that reinforcement of all those lessons and just reinforcing this is I could have just read this book yeah. and applied it to myself day one. Yeah. I probably got that over that week or over that, you know, six yeah. months from signing up to yeah. completing the ride. Yeah. And so if you had to say, so if, if there's people listening that have post-concussion syndrome, what would be, you know, the one most important thing or five most important things? I don't know how many. What, but what would be the key thing that you would really want them to take away? Uh, it is tricky. <laughs> it is. I would, first thing I'd say is it's really tough. And I know it's really tough. And I know it's really scary. 
and you want to be better now or tomorrow um, and that's frustrating and intimidating and you're still wondering even now if your situation is the same. But I would say the brain and the body are marvellous, miraculous things and that you can and you will recover. Mm. And it, I think especially if people haven't heard that before from a health professional or from anyone that they've dealt with, that is a pretty life-changing message. Hey guys, it's Robbie again. If you got this far, well, well done. I'll have show notes on everything we talked about this episode on the podcast website. There's a link to that in the podcast description, along with a full transcript if you find that easier to follow along or to find what you need. I do need to highlight that I'm not a medical professional and that whilst Tasha is a physiotherapist, the advice and learnings which we share during our discussions are not medical advice and should be considered and reviewed in consultation with a trusted medical professional prior to being acted upon. These are our learnings from our experiences. Take what is valuable and leave the rest. Next episode, I'll be speaking with Lloyd Pokinghorn, a 36-year-old newspaper owner and editor and a former mixed irrigator and father of two from Barham in New South Wales. Lloyd was injured by a misfiring shotgun in 2013 whilst assisting neighbouring farmers to clear birds from their crops. The injuries he received were largely invisible, but the effects upon him were significant. He's one of the most resilient and courageous men I've come across, and I really look forward to sharing his journey of recovery with you. Until then, I wish you courage and energy on your own journey forward. Thanks for listening.